I go, I go, she goes, uh, and he's telling us what he's doing. He said he can find like, uh, like a cancer, like a heart disease, that may be 10 or 15 years in the future, but he can take it out of the boy now. And he can see if something like that's gonna develop. So he's descri she's describing all this as Josiah, this 30 year old male kind of sitting there going like, wow, this is crazy. So next, you know, uh, he said, I go, what happened next? She goes, well, Jesus, you know, lifted the boy up, took him off his lap. And the boy stood there and I go, she goes, I, he looked like he was confused at first, but then he, all of a sudden he could see and his eyes were back brown again, like he had pupils and brown eyes, irises. And uh, he didn't seem to be mentally impaired. And I said, what happened then? She said that you, you got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just fad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. As always, wonderful to be with you again. Today, I have a really extraordinary man to introduce you to. His name is David Rippey, or Dave. We call him Dave. You like to be called Dave, don't you? That's perfect, yes. And we, he has, look, fascinating story. So we're going to explore Dave's story and his wisdom. Welcome to the show, Dave. Well, thanks for having me. I've, uh, you know, followed your work here, and I watched the Robert Schwartz interview and uh, some other things you've done and uh, greatly enjoyed them. Oh, thank you. Oh, that's nice that you've that's nice that you've watched a couple of the shows. A lot of people uh, don't bother. Anyway, that's lovely. Look, remember if you people watching and listening, if you like the shows and our conversations, to subscribe, hit that bell button, send us a comment or an email if you've got any questions. Now, you've got an amazing story. I'm going to read your bio here. David Rippey is an inspirational author and speaker who seeks to help people live their very best lives. At the age of 25, in the midst of beginning a career at a Fortune 50 company, Dave's life changed dramatically when he had a car accident, which left him paralyzed from the shoulders down. Despite this life-altering injury, he formulated a vision for his life and became determined to fulfill his ambitions to become a money manager, and he did. Dave went on to have a long and successful career working at both Merrill Lynch and the Vanguard Group. After achieving his own dreams, Dave wanted to help others to reach their own goals and live their very best life in spite of facing the greatest hardships of their lives. He has written four books and in each of the books he addresses a different facet of existence, the mental, the physical and the spiritual. In his book, Captain of my soul, mastering a destiny altered. He introduces the readers to his story of his devastating spinal cord injury and his success in the business world. His second book, Powering Through Paralysis, How to Survive and Thrive with Disability or Disease. He offers concrete guidelines for living a better life, which is geared towards the disabled, but yet strings together pearls of wisdom, providing valuable information and wisdom for everyone. In the next book, The Immortal Soul, The Journey to Enlightenment, he takes the reader on a spiritual odyssey 
of his own explorations of the afterlife via transcriptions of particularly powerful sessions from his hypnotism practice, hypnosis practice. And in his fourth book, Meeting Jesus, David breaks new ground, chronically some of his hypnotherapy sessions addressing questions like, have you ever wondered where you go when you die? What happens to your departed loved ones? And will you ever see them again? David uses proprietary hypno hypnotic regression techniques. Is that how you say it? Yes. In other words, it's basically made them up. Oh, you made them up. Okay. Like proprietary, like in some things I've strung together from other people I've watched and listened to and read. Right. Helping his clients to explore their past lives, soul purpose, and relationships with divine beings by guiding his clients into a deep superconscious state. Some recount, recount meeting Jesus, archangels, ascended masters, and other spirit guides. Journey to Nazareth is where, in a past life, a young man named Joshua. Josiah. Josiah. One client meets a spiritual teacher named Jesus, followed him from town to town, witnessing the miracles until his final days. Dave continues to spread his message of positivity through his writings and speaking engagements. He still believes that there are many more miracles to come in his life and, walks to, and works toward new goals and aspirations every day. Well, honey one, there isn't a time more needed your message than at the moment, right? <laughs> well, I think it's great. I mean, it's amazing to see how many people are becoming more interested in, uh, you know, what happens to our loved ones when they, when they leave the earth. Will I see them again? I miss them. I can think of them. I can remember them and love them. But, you know, will I see them again? And what happens to us? You know, is there any place in particular we might go? We've seen the stories and all the various religions. And what I did was try to do a self-exploration beyond kind of what was presented to me as a child growing up, going to a Presbyterian church out in the middle of uh, Indiana and St. Louis. And, you know, they never mentioned anything about reincarnation. And that always intrigued me. I always kind of wondered, did I have another life? Did I, am I more than just what, what's in front of me? And uh, decided to do a self-exploration. And uh, that's always intrigued me. What's behind the veil? And Started having that kind of feeling back when I was not, not probably about 25 when I got hurt. So let's go through your journey. It sounds like, it sounds like when you look first had the injury, lots of questions as I could imagine thinking like, why am I here on earth? Why didn't I die? Why has this happened to me? Why, why, why? You've got over the whys. You've sort of said, doesn't matter why I can succeed no matter what. So you've done the success. And now there are more questions like, is there past lives you know this was there a reason this happened to me is it kind of, you know so there's been this like constant exploration which you've turned into a practice you know helping others explore their own reasons for being here so what happened you're 25 let's walk through the story well i had pretty much a standard uh upper middle class upbringing we didn't um you know we didn't have to work real hard i did have jobs during the summers pay for half my college that kind of deal it's kind of the kind of the deal we worked with my parents. And, um, you know, I had just a great child. I grew up, played sports, you know, lived in Pittsburgh. You know, I skated on Friday and Saturday nights like everybody else. And pretty much nothing out of the ordinary. And, um, you know, prior to the accident, I didn't have a lot of possible experience beyond being born. And then my tonsils out at the age of three. So, you know, before that, you know, there's the typical sprains. There was stitches from sports and things like this. But, you know, nothing that could have prepared me for what I faced when I uh, broke my neck. And how it happened, basically, we were going down a road, and uh, 
I just graduated from college. I went to school down at Texas A&M and uh, took a job with Sun Oil up here back at the time. It was, you know, it was a great job, uh, great benefits, good possible future. And uh, three weeks into that job, uh, the car went off the road. And uh, my friend driving hit a dead deer on the road. And uh, bang, right then was when everything just changed. So your friend was driving, did you say? Correct. And yes. did he die? Did he? Did he? Except the oh no no! Fortunately, he did not oh, die okay. because uh, well, if he did, you know, I wouldn't be here telling the story probably. Right. Because uh, uh, I wasn't getting out of the car. It was three in the morning in dark woods, so not a car in sight. So uh, no, he hurt his back a little bit and uh, wrenched it and you know, cut his face open from hitting the windshield and that kind of thing. But my side of the car got more damaged. Mm -hmm. It literally smashed in the roof. They had to cut the roof off. Luckily, I didn't, I didn't have a seatbelt on, which is normally something you'd want to wear. But that was a good reason not to have that, because what happened was the roof came down and crushed right at the headrest. And if I was set up, I would have probably been decapitated or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Unfortunately, what happened was I, we hit the deer, and I must have just slid right back down to my seat, and I slumped all the way down to my knees hit the dash and shattered my right kneecap. And then, uh, bang, I was below the seat and couldn't sit back up. and. You know, the realization kicked in that, wow, we can't move anything here. This is a serious situation. And, uh, you know, I was pretty calm, though, through the whole thing. I said, told my friend, I said, look, you got to, you know, I broke my neck. You got to go get help. So you absolutely knew that. Like, you were conscious. You, in well, I couldn't move. I figured I, it was a problem. Oh, okay. You know, I, I didn't wow. know for a fact because uh, we hit the deer so fast right. that it wasn't like I remember the slow motion, like, snap or whatever, you know, however it works out. But being unable to move, I had enough sense, even though I never had a biology or anatomy class in uh, high school, I had enough sense to say, wow, we're not moving. It must be related to the spinal cord. Right. And it did, I didn't know anybody else was injured either. It's not like I grew up. That's another thing. I didn't grow up with any background with, uh, you know, people in wheelchairs. I was fortunate enough. Nobody was hurting. Yeah. So it's kind of a workout in that regard. So when they gave you the news, oh, you're a young 25-year-old boy, what was going through your head? Well, you know, the first couple of weeks you're thinking, gosh, do I want to live like do this? I, I mean, this is, yeah. Well, I was, yeah, I was very athletic. Yeah. And uh, I didn't go through this. You know, I think everybody's going to go through some type of uh, a period where they're not real happy with their current situation. Yeah. I mean, I, I, was, well, I was very athletic. You know, I five-speed sports car. I water skied all the time yeah. on the weekends and playing championship level racquetball and all of a sudden I can't move. Plus I was well built because I was working out and all of a sudden you see your body melting in the bed, you can't move. So that's enough to make anybody at that age, I would think, to say, you know, they're not gonna look at it like some super, super evolved, like maybe the Dalai Lama at age of five going, okay, this is my new challenge. I mean, you don't know what the heck it is. It's so surreal. You're in pain, you know, there's a lot of pain involved. Um, probably what helped was that I have strong and loving parents and family. I have a lot of support in that regard. So they're, of course, wanting to come in and visit, even though I'm feeling pretty, up, pretty not real happy with the whole situation. So I'd say there's a, probably moments of sadness probably for the first couple of weeks. And then after that, uh, and I talk about it in the book, it's kind of, kind of wild. I've never really, prior to this time, I never meditated really. I never, you know, I was just always on the go, very athletic always you know full energy and all that stuff so i really never took the time to slow down so now all of a sudden you're faced with where you can't move mm -hmm. so there's these periods of time going by 
And for some reason, one night I talk about the book, I don't want to waste a lot of time on it because it's really kind of interesting. It's a story that should be read, I think, is that I, my temperature was spiking every night. It would go up to 104 to 105. And I couldn't control it. It was just something that had to do with the spinal cord injury that caused this. And then the nurses would come in and they would pack like uh, ice bags all around my body, like 25 at a time. Mm. Then they would lay an ice blanket on top of that and try to bring my temperature down from 104 down to about 98.6 or somewhere in that neighborhood. So you'd be, I was melting the ice bags, just something happens. And I was hallucinating as a result of the fever, wow. sleep deprivation, the whole nine yards. So one night, why it popped in my head, I probably, I think I had divine help with this. Uh, I visualized a large map of the United States and I pictured my mind that was spinning like I was on a lathe. I felt like I was on a lathe or shooting off into space. That's how fast my mind was spinning. So I, I, for some reason, I pictured an old steam train going from Philadelphia, where I live in the suburbs, all the way out to San Francisco. So I had to go all the way across the country. So I could see myself, and of course, you're like with a fever, you're kind of this non-sleeping, uh, hot state anyway. So it was kind of bizarre, but I talked about in the book how I saw myself like in the train. I was driving the train. And the goal was to slow it down enough to where I get my mind under control. Wow. So I saw it, yeah, I saw it blazing out of Philadelphia. It was like a rocket sled on wheels. And it was going so fast because I noticed after a little bit, my mind was matching the speed of the wheels. So I knew if I had to slow those wheels down, it would slow my mind down also. So that was kind of a strange exercise. But I could see this train blazing across the map through Ohio, through this. And I could see myself looking down and seeing this large map. And then I would find myself inside the train and I was the only guy on the train. I was a conductor. So I wanted to slow that thing down before I got into San Francisco because I'd been to Frisco, you know, I'd been out there uh, two years earlier working on an oil tanker and having a ball, you know, running all over California at the time in between college semesters. So I'd pick that destination because I'd been there and it was on the other side of the country. And I knew I needed a heck of a lot of time to get this done because it was just something that I had no control of. So I was literally uh, hallucinating the point where you just, you know, you just kind of lose control of it after a while. So this, what happened was, which was really wild, was I started slowing the train down slower and slower, feeling my mind starting to slow down with the train. And right before I got to the station in Frisco, I kind of, uh, I've talked about in the book, I put a, uh, you know, an ex-girlfriend in the picture and she was like waving to me in slow motion. I thought that would help slow my mind down a little bit. Uh, so it drift, the, the train drifted right outside of the station, about 50 yards past. I ran back, hugged her, and bang, the image just ended right there. And uh, after that moment of using that creative imagery, I never ever hallucinated again while I was in the hospital the entire time. So that one thing got my mind back. And after that, I made massive improvements and I uh, got out of the hospital pretty quick. A lot faster than I would have been if, uh, if I didn't somehow come up with some creative imagery just out of the blue. It was almost like it was like planted in my head or something. It was pretty wild. Yeah, there you are. You can't use your body, so it's just you and your mind. I think I read in the Michael Newton books, and you'll know this because uh, you're, you're well read. I think it was his books years ago uh, that, oh, gee, I can't remember, but there was a young girl that fell off a cart. I think it was a past life 
in one of his books that fell off a cart and uh, she became a cripple. And then he was reviewing why that happened. And it was because her soul wanted to explore the mind and the creativity of the mind. And that if she had the working of her body, she would have been out exercising and skipping and doing all sorts of things and not, and not doing what her soul wanted her to do. And she became an amazing writer and poet and, uh, is that the conclusion that you came to as well with your, all your... Well, I don't remember that particular story because he had so many. I, I like I said, I had... It might first. not have been Michael Newton. It might have been another yeah. book, but yeah, that was someone... But, that's, but that makes sense. I mean, he talked about others to where, um, you know, we come down and take life challenges. I mean, in the, the Immortal Soul and Meeting Jesus books I've written, I've found that, you know, a lot of people, everyone kind of signs a soul contract before they come down. And I, I'm not here to rehash, you know, things we've learned and Michael did, which some people I'm sure can do. But the reality is when, um, you know, when you bring these people in a trance, and I did follow some of Newton's methods to get to the past lives, to get to life after lives. And then we took it to other stages. So something Newton was starting to get into, and that's where you look for traumas in this life. And how do they link, or do they link to a past life? That's what I found pretty fascinating too. In other words, taking a person through a past life regression, taking them on to the other side, you know, find out their soul color, how evolved are they? Uh, then we go from there to, uh, you know, explore how they well they did on their lessons in that particular life. And then uh, what's interesting from there, we kind of take it in a little deeper. And usually prior to a session, I'll ask my, you know, do you have any pain? Do you have any undiagnosed, you know, pain that really can't be discovered uh, by conventional methods? Uh, they can't find a trace or why it's there. One interesting person, if you want to hear about it real quick, I can tell you it's about, I uh, hypnotized a girl. She was, uh, she's a uh, occupational therapist, about 30 years old, gets into Reiki and shamanism. She was, she was a neat person to hypnotize. She's actually having a couple of stories on her, uh, actually one of the books, pretty good. And uh, she had this unpained, sharp girl and said, yeah, I had this sciatic nerve pain on my left hip and I've never really been able to determine, you know, the doctors can't tell me. I didn't play sports in high school. You know, I never injured it. There's really nothing I can trace. And the doctors can't figure it out. I've had MRIs, I've done tests, I've done this, but it hurts. And I know it's there. It's nagging me all the time. I can't stand it. So that was one thing she had. And then she also had a jaw, but she doesn't grind her teeth. She doesn't have TMJ. But she's telling me she has this constant ligament pain in her jaw. And she's been to specialists and dentists all her life. And they really can say, you know what? Your jaw should be fine. So they're not sure why the heck it hurts. But had we explored a couple of past lives with her, what she found was I said, let's, you know, I took a different tack and said, let's go to the source of that pain on your sciatic nerve and why does it hurt? And then bang, next to know, she's telling me about a uh, life as a revolutionary war soldier. And she was out there on a the field and they got shot in the leg with a 50, with a 50 caliber, you know, uh, musket ball. So it knocked her, you know, it just knocked her down. She bled to death. I mean, it, blew her, it blows your leg off pretty much. You hit something that a 50 caliber, bullet then i said okay well let's you know we know what it is what happens is it's like watching a movie a traumatic movie so you're literally watching a traumatic movie of the experience you had that caused that pain so if you listen to that thing 10 times it's gonna be like watching uh you know watching scarface it's not gonna have or uh friday the 13th with freddy krueger it's not gonna have the same impact it did the first time you saw it and the more you see it it starts to leave the subconscious and then what I found is you can say, it's all fading away. It's only a past life. And bang. 
you know, they get up and uh, you'd be surprised. The pain, uh, pretty much the more they listen, the much more it's erasing. It dissipates. It's so interesting that you say that. I had a friend who's now left her body. She was born thalidomide affected, so she was quite internally deformed as well as externally deformed. And um, we did some personal growth courses together. And one of the exercises was to tell your story. And over and over and over and over again. And she's like, she's got this big story, right? You know, she's like, I'm born deformed and, you know, no one's going to love me because I'm sick and deformed and I'll probably die tomorrow. The doctors are always killing her off. And it was just so funny as she's telling her story. She's like, oh God, it's, I'm over it. I'm seeing like this crap, you know, like it just becomes this story that you just don't want to repeat anymore. And there's just something profound. Yeah, it was an interesting exercise. And just becomes like a story, not, and there's no emotional charge to it anymore. Like when you first tell it, there's like crying and oh, then you tell it again and there's a little bit of emotional charge and then you tell it again and again. And it's like, Oh God, I'm over it. Yeah. That's a great idea. I never thought of that. And that's something that, that's something that does work. And whether you're dealing with a past life or a current life, and yeah. it's something that uh, that's interesting. Well, let's get back to your story. So here you are 25. You're, you're learning to, get a hold of this mind of yours. Like you're learning to control it, to learning to control your, even we were talking about your autonomic uh, nervous system because the sweating was an auto, automatic thing. And yeah, 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 like there are pe- lots of people, we were discussing that on another show that talk about how to do that. Like there's the Wim Hof method, you know, you get in ice cold water and then you control your, the temperature of your body. I'll tell you what, menopausal women need to know how to control their temperature. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't have these temperature issues. Fortunately, I don't. So yeah. So anyway, here we are, 25. We got out of the hospital, went through the rehabs. They got my body stabilized to where, you know, and it's pretty amazing. I mean, I can stay out 95 degree weather. I can stay out 25 degree weather. It doesn't bother me. Like I knew other people that come out of the hospital with me who, you know, were very sensitive to temperature fluctuations. They would have to wear sweat shirts, be like 75, and I'm going like, wow, aren't you dying in that? So. So we were very fortunate in a lot of ways. So we're pretty much as healthy as you could possibly be with this type of injury. The only thing is we don't move now. But, you know, uh, health-wise, you know, I don't get sick. I don't get the flu. So I've learned. And I also wrote about, I, I don't know, I'm not here to plug the books, but apparently through paralysis, I did a whole chapter on health and wellness for people that are disabled, for people that have diseases, for people that take care of people with these problems, whether it's in a you know, parent with dementia or say, uh, you know, a child with spinal bifida. So what I've done is I've kind of laid out what I learned over the course of my injury of how to not get sick, how to stay healthy, how not to get out. I've never had the flu. I don't get sick. I started this regimen. And I talked about a little bit how I did it. This regimen back in 03 and kept, you know, not selling a, a nerve or anything, but kept tra- tracking my blood results all the way up. And then I'd add other things, you know, I have vitamin D, C, B, magnesium, zinc testosterone, all these DHEA, all these additional tests. So I also started exploring what I would take to take me to be healthy. And I knew that I couldn't have a career in a fast paced brokerage environment, working on the penthouse floor of Merrill Lynch in Center City, Philadelphia for four years and talk to people about stocks and bonds if I missed work. You know, there's no paid holidays as a broker. There's no, there's nothing, uh, there's no vacation days. So Every day you go in, it's a question whether you're going to make money or not for you and your client. And uh, that's why I knew I had to stay healthy. I couldn't miss work. So I never missed work very much. It was very rare, which is rare for this injury, to put a, put a mile. So how long did it take you to go from 25 in the hospital contemplating your life to being a successful broker? 
How many years? About a year. About a year. Year. Let's say a year and a half. You know, I have to explain this to people that are listening that can't see you. That you're doing this without being able to move from the neck down, so you can't move your hands. So this, you know, so you don't, they don't, they can't see me on the tape. I guess right. It's just you. They can't see me. Is that no, no? This goes out on audio podcasts as well as as video and audio podcasts as well as YouTube. So there are lots of people that just listen and don't watch just the podcast. They don't watch the YouTube. Yeah. Um, it was after I got hurt that I realized there was more to being healthy and staying out of the hospital, and that involved, you know, thinking about respiratory issues thinking about uh you know th the, any type of health issue that you can think of because it's a little harder for somebody in a wheelchair as it would be for a normal person walking and running around so what we learned we learned and we said you know what we're sitting at home for six months and you know like i said i wasn't real upset except for a couple of weeks on average and then i set goals and i think what really helped me a lot was i'm a competitive person by nature and i was competitive only in basically in sports and I was gifted enough, my parents, fortunately, they're they really, really smart. And um, I, my grandma was too, and my grandparents. So what I, what I was kind of, I could just kind of get through school, you know, really wasn't hard, hard, but I didn't really try either. I didn't really try it after I got hurt. And once I couldn't be competitive physically, then I decided, you know, I want to be competitive in something. So all I could do was be competitive mentally. So we started um, getting to the point where I, you know, it was pretty, I don't know, it was pretty bad, I guess. I go into a classroom and kind of look around at who's in the class, not knowing any of them. And I said, I was, and I would just to myself, what's it going to take for me to get the highest grade in this class? And I was just kind of glance around. I mean, I was, that was not like that. So then I just started uh, doing very well in those areas and then thought, you know, I get bored easy. And a lot of times with this type of injury, they try to push you initially into like computer work or computer coding and, you know, I had a couple of computer classes in college, and I said, wow, I'll die of boredom if I end up doing this. I know some people love coding and stuff, but, but I didn't really particularly enjoy it. It wasn't, it wasn't that interesting to me. So, you know, I got hurt, and I came home. I said, what, you know, I knew what I couldn't do. You know, I couldn't do a lot of things. I thought, what can I do? You know, I got a Bachelor of Science in Economics. You know, I'm 25, but I don't have a lot of good work experience. You know, it's competitive as hell out there, and I'm going to be competing from, you know, paralyzed. So what I did was I uh, decided I want to be a stockbroker because I thought that would be interesting, you know, managing money, kind of watching the markets. And it really keeps you up on a lot of cool stuff. I mean, you're, you're well aware of what's going on around the world because you have to buy stocks in other countries and things like that. Uh, you learn a lot about economics, which I kind of use my degree. I never knew I'd be using my degree personally. So you learn a lot. You have to follow economics because everything's economics. And, uh, you know, from there, you know, you just learn a lot of things in history and all that cool stuff going back to the early days of the markets up to modern day. But the neatest thing is putting your thoughts and what you put together is what you, your advice and sharing that with clients. And that's pretty competitive. When I, I'm, I'm suspecting that the whole time that you're being competitive and enjoying that whole mental game and money market game that we can get really swept up in, there's still an underlying questions there, you know, like it's kind of, when did the questions get loud enough to stop wanting to make money and to wanting to explore, be like become a hypnotherapist and explore spirituality? When did that start? Like what was happening? Well, that's interesting. You mentioned that because, uh, after a while, you know, money management is okay. It's fun. I mean, it's fun for a while. So what I did was, uh, the answer to your question, we just kind of, uh, 
we kind of, uh, throughout all the years since I was hurt, I had more interest, learn, you know, I had to know about the markets because you have to deal with clients and they have a lot of money and they expect you to know something. So I obviously know that field. But I, I made a decision to leave my uh, career about five years ago okay. and give up a, give up a, you know, a pretty decent job uh, that was there. And it was, you know, I had a good hours. It was like whatever hours I wanted to make, really. A lot of vacation time, bonuses, all this cool stuff. But, it, you know, I, it just wasn't enough at the time. And during that time when I first got hurt, I did a couple of past life regressions about, about age 26. I think. Okay. And yeah, so I did those first myself because I want to explore myself. Yeah. As opposed to just hypnotizing people randomly for, you know, whatever reason. So what I did was I uh, did a couple of past life regressions. I, you know, followed, enjoyed reading more about, I did my homework though. You know, I had to stay up on finance in the world, obviously. But uh, my fun reading was more of the uh, Edgar Casey type books and Doris Cannon's. Brian, Dr. Moody, that kind of Dr. Deal. Moody, Dr. Weiss, yes, Dr. Newton. You've there's a read lot them of, all. Yeah. yeah. And they're all fabulous. I don't know if I read, I don't know if I read them all, but we read quite a few. We went, I love the way that you say we. <laughs> when you, you know, it is interesting. My mother corrects me on that all the time. No, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't correct you. You know, the Queen says we because she says God and I, you know, the Queen. But then it's it's like it's in in normal society it's like only the queen can say we because it's her and god whereas like why can't it be all of us and god because you know we're multi-dimensional beings so we are I, we are more than one person we are a we we are a spiritual I, it's interesting we i never knew that about the queen either i know i did that and it's something i've done for a very long time and some of it could stem from having people help me i can't say i wash the band but if I'm providing valuable advice while they do it, it could be we wash the van. Yeah. Right? People don't build their own buildings. Well, let's explore some of your uh, past lives because in the book, which one did I read? My Was it The Immortal Soul? You explore some of your past lives in that book. Uh, do you want to share some of them? And yeah, I can tell you, they're not super exciting. It's not like we had some life uh, in that particular life under Ramsey's a second or something, but... <laughs> you know, we, we, what I do find is, though, that you find that there are similarities or commonalities in the life we're in now. And it's amazing how a lot of those roots can be found in other past lives. And um, a couple, for me, for instance, um, I found my career. I didn't realize it at the time. But when I was in uh, when I, my first past life, I saw myself as an orphan. Thought I came back from uh, New York City. You know, maybe it was like 1850, something like that. Saw our 1840, I saw myself tilling soil in Lex outside of Lexington, Kentucky, right around 1860. And I knew I went to California to look for gold. And um, that was important to me, to have, you know, a, maybe a fast hit, not work hard for all the money and that kind of deal. So what I went out and I didn't find gold. And it's funny, the therapist, the hypnotherapist goes, well, there's one thing in that life that you can change. What would that be? And I said, to find the gold. <laughs> it wasn't was to be a nicer person. It wasn't like, well, I would have been more patient. You know, it was nothing altruistic. It was more of uh, that. And what's, what's kind of neat about that is that I found myself, you know, never really wanting to work a lot. I mean, I just found myself saying, you know, I don't mind working because obviously I put the hours in at both companies. But, you know, there's also that possibility of, of doing very well in the stock market too if you pick the right stock. So it's not much different than going and mining because there's no other field that really allows that opportunity when you get right down to it. So that got my interest. Okay, so 
it's not like I wanted to be a nice person. I just wanted to find the gold. I think that's really interesting. Well, I was 25 years, I was 26 year old mentality at the time, right? Well, I also, it's also fascinating that, uh, because there was a couple of other past lives that you explored too. It feels like they're all coming together and the achievements that weren't achieved are sort of being achieved in this life. One of them being a nice person. You know, I wonder who Dave Rippey would be if, if you never had the accident, you know, you'd be a... Well, I know what Dave Rippey would have been. I already saw that very clearly. Tell me. Tell us. Well, see, I was very, like I said, I was tall and strong. I pretty much got to do whatever I wanted. You know, I, I was fairly, um, I don't know, I guess I was fairly, I'm not going to say egotistical, but I would think some people thought I was proud of myself. Mm -hmm. You know, like 6'2", walking around 190, benching over 300 pounds and, you know, decent looking at the time. And um, for people that can't see him, he's drop dead gorgeous. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, it was just, it was just that it was an easy life. Mm. I grew up, I got through college. Mm. I didn't try hard, got a good job when I got out. Um, so I really was kind of, kind of uh, gifted in a lot of different ways, but more, you know, just more, but I was not very deep, I don't think. I mean, I wasn't stupid. You know, I could pass tests and all that stuff. But, you know, I really didn't have time at that age of 25 or even before that, you know, say call it 15 to 25, whatever. The interest weren't in Plato. It was not in discovering uh, about past lives. I didn't know if that was possible. Like I said, I went up through church and Presbyterian. Didn't realize that reincarnation was in the Bible. Like I didn't find that out till later. And um, you know, just things took life just like anybody else. I was competitive and you know went after it and uh, enjoyed it. And then uh, after I had a couple of past life regressions. Then I started delving more and more into that. And as I, my finance career went on, um, you know, kept reading more of the other stuff. It's pretty much after a while, I had pretty much had it wired as far as, you know, what I really need to know in finance. I could watch, for instance, I could watch, you know, seeing it for half an hour in the morning and pretty much know what's going on all day. Whereas before you're reading Barron's and Business Week and fortune and you know trying to learn because you're young and you don't know much so let me ask you this as i'm experiencing you ah uh, you have a such a powerful mind <laughs> it's like whoa it sort of blows me over and it you know like because i work as a psychic medium and as an empath it sort of blows me out of the water your mind Woo! and how do you quieten your mind today how do you sort of find that still point in the middle of the busyness First, I want to say, if my parents ever listen to this, when you say such a powerful mind, they're going to go, wait a minute, that's not the kid we knew, you know? Because it's just different. We've changed a lot since, uh, since the accident. And the way we found the quiet is, like I said, I didn't have any meditative practices when I came out. Mm. My first exposure to that was the hospital, getting over my hallucinations, going, wow, this worked. I'm not hallucinating. And look at me improve. And how did that, you know, that was pretty cool. So that kind of stuck in my head too. First, after reading uh, some Newton, I didn't get to discover Newton until about seven years, six years ago, actually. Mm. You know, Casey mostly, you know, these kind of things. And, you know, it's funny. I mean, I just had a natural gift, you know, to hypnotize people. So my first exposure to that, you know, I, so I started slipping into this, you know, more of the spiritual realm. You know, I wasn't a spiritual person per se. But I'd have uh, people that I came across my path that were, um, you know, very gifted. Okay. The other thing I did was out of the exploration of myself and things like that 
is I started seeking out what I considered some of the best psychics in the world. Mm -hmm. So I started talking to, uh, you know, some of the names you probably knew at the time, Michelle White Dove, Livingston, you know, there's Allison, a rock girl, there's, there's a bunch of them and started reaching out to some of them. I wouldn't, and I kind of would find out more about myself. So I want to trace back what lives I've had, you know, why do I have certain abilities maybe in this life? And why do I like certain things? Why do I feel like I've known this person, this girl before? Things like that. So I started reaching out to what I consider kind of the modern day oracles and uh, learned a lot from them. And, you know, it was pretty scientific how we went about it. We weren't totally scientific, but pretty close. Like, what do you see? And then they would recount very similar stories that I heard from a top psychic already. So after about the fourth or fifth top psychic, it started developing a pattern for me to kind of piece these lives together, the names, the dates, where I was located, things like that. So I pieced together about 35 lives that I found pretty interesting. And a lot of it, you know, some of them were just your standard lives and the other lives were, uh, you know, fairly neat. Some of them were standards and some of them were neat. Well, I mean, like, you know, just with people you would recognize today. Right. Are, and uh, ha with all the lives that you've been made privy to, are they, have they been in a sort of um, reasonable, like a, a past that was not too long ago? Or have they been thousands of years ago or hundreds of thousands of years ago? Or that was that. My, my, my sister told me not to get too uh, out there on the show, but. Uh, now a lot. Of, I had one of the first ones, Michelle Livingston, and she lives out here. And she's, I think, she's very good. She's toured with James Von Prague and stuff, and some other ones. I mean, some people have different opinions of her. I think she's great because I what what she's confirmed from others have confirmed was pretty impressive. And you know, one of the first was, you know, do you, I see they tell me you've had star lives, and do you want to look at those? And you know, I'm thinking, really, okay, sure, go ahead. You know, it's kind of new. This was probably back in 2012 when I started this journey, uh, getting past life stuff. And uh, she goes, yeah, and they're showing me a picture on space and the earth isn't here yet. So do you want to go back farther? So we went, you know, different planetary stuff and, you know, pretty darn far back. I mean, way before the universe, way back when, so that kind of thing. Um, well, absolutely. I think we've all had star lives, Dave. I think that there's probably not a being on the planet that hasn't. I don't think anyone comes to earth and only comes to earth. I think earth is one of the hardest schools. So I think that pretty much if there is linear time, because there's no linear time from that perspective, I think pretty much most of us have easier lives before we even attempt to come to earth. You know, like, so those easier lives. I know you're right. Yeah, it could be some mental world, perhaps. It could be this. Well, other planets, yeah, star lives, if you like to, where, where right. contrast isn't as polarized, you know, where the where the uh, contrast in density isn't as, isn't as vast. And so we kind of play with energy in a, in a smaller, in a smaller way we don't have this variety of frequency that we play with here on earth. Uh, so, yeah, I think we're all, we've all had. Yeah, it could be a lot of that stuff. Yeah. yeah I just, you know, just, I, just, I think everybody's had, sorry, just a question of how far back you go in these lives. That's the key. I find the more lives, it's not necessarily going to pass every chakra color at all. But I think the more lives you have and the older your soul is, you know, the more experience you're going to have overall. Well, definitely. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a, yeah. There's a lot more adventurous soul. You know, there's different levels of adventure.
and definitely when you come into contrast and like becoming paralyzed, you're a, you're a courageous, adventurous soul. I would say that's like, yep, I'm up for that. Well, give me, give me some. Yeah, I was somebody would I would never have signed up for it. At least I didn't think you I didn't did. think you, you did. Like, yeah. Find out later. You find out later. You had more of a say in it than you realized. Mm. And uh, you know about the lessons we come down for. And uh, you know, it's interesting about. It. And I, it's really easy to see how who's in my life now. That, you know, it's like, it's, you know, this is the role I took. I'm going to be the guy in the wheelchair. You know, my parents are in his life. I knew I knew them in four other lives. My sister, I've known in many, many lives. And, you know, she's been very supportive and helpful. And, you know, you kind of, you kind of, you take a tough life. Not that this happens in every case, because a lot of people have very difficult lives without good support. But I kind of knew that ahead of time that said, hey, you know, okay, well, you know, I'll take that. But, you know, I'd like to have Melinda here as my support, as my sister, my wife. Absolutely. It's interesting. And, and my parents. It's interesting that you say that. My girlfriend that I spoke about that was born thalidomide affected, she had a sister who was also one of my best friends, a younger sister. That was her support. And interestingly mm -hmm. enough, um, we had a discussion after Nikki died at forty from complications from her eternally sick life, and and her sister felt kind of free that she didn't have this responsibility anymore to sort of always be there to look after her. But then she died a couple of years later, which really upset me because she didn't fulfill all those dreams that she said she wanted to get married and have babies and all that sort of stuff that we think we want. And uh, then I realized that they had this sacred contract to be here. You know, she was kind of her support, her support person. And once that she was off the planet, you know, she played for about four or five years afterwards and she, her career was really getting good and had lots of um, torted love affairs and all that sort of thing, broken hearts. But then she was out of here. So it's interesting. All right, back to your story. Well, well I, can tell this, I can tell this one last fast thing concerning, I mentioned my parents, my sister, they've been one of my brothers as well. And my niece and nephews are really, really good people too. What I would say, those the assistance I've had, yeah. okay, the strong help I've had, yeah. where they have come into my lives at certain times where they were very needed, mm -hmm. and uh, how they filled that role, and um, you know, I've, I've been very blessed to have uh, some amazing assistants decide to you know take it, have a piece of this uh, this script for him. Yeah. So, how long have you been a hypnotherapist? An official hypnotherapist or one that's been doing hypnotherapy without a license. <laughs> <laughs> but there I was thinking about Pennsylvania, they don't require any licenses or anything like that. I mean, there's only been there's very few states that do actually. Right. And what's interesting, you know, the hypnosis has been around with the AMA since 19, early 1950s. And there's only been one, I'm, you know, I'm not going down this civil trail or whatever, but there's only been one lawsuit every filed against the hypnotist yeah. all through this history. Which is kind of cool, but I've been I've been doing hypnosis for probably twelve years, roughly. Right. Yeah. And, and, I've, and I've been a certified hypnotherapist for about a year now. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's been a long journey. Look, it would have been a big decision to give up the big money career to become a hypnotherapist. There's a. I'm not. I'm not charging for my service at this point. I mean, oh. a lot of all the people I regress are. Uh, uh, you know, there have been people that have uh, come to me, whether it's with pain, uh, where they just want to explore past life. And, you know, I read some and thought it was cool and knew somebody I know and that kind of deal. So I don't charge for the, uh, the guided meditation. I have about 14 of them on my website, which, are, which will help for anything from chronic pain, insomnia, to PTSD, to cramps, I mean, you name it. It's, uh, there's about 14 of them, pretty broad-based. 
And, you know, the only thing that, you know, if somebody wants to buy a book or get a Kindle for $7.99, that's as far as we go. So I've been doing mostly a lot of free, all free work, basically. Yep. I hear. <laughs> I'm doing my free work right now. <laughs> okay. Let's explore some of, let's explore the last book. That to me sounds like a really interesting one for me personally. They all sound interesting. Obviously, a lot of people are going through diversity at the moment or hard times at the moment. So, you know, you're probably in that book powering through paralysis, even though it's like survival for disability and disease. It could probably lots of guidelines for people who feel like they need to think in better ways and power through what we're going through. But this one with Jesus, meeting Jesus, let's talk about that. Who was the person that was, um, let's explore that person that was meeting Jesus. Well, what I did was, Beating Jesus was a follow-up to the immortal soul. Well, then we kind of thought after this book, we had some interesting things going on. They talked about the age of Aquarius and why we're here now. So some people had some really amazing insights into the future of humanity, which is pretty cool. And follow-up was with Beating Jesus. The reason we did that was we were fortunate enough to meet several clients that knew Jesus back in Nazareth. And that was just kind of a mind-blowing type experience to have somebody named, you know, a 29-year-old female that's here is also in healthcare, a whole different personnel what I described earlier with deciding nerve pain. And, you know, we brought her to a deep, deep trance. And uh, I said, do you tell me what you see? And she goes, I see like mud brick buildings. They're not very well deformed. They're making, they're making these things out of the local earth, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, really, where is this? Oh, somewhere in the Middle East, you know, you know, like this. I'm like, can you give us the name of a town? And she goes, Nazareth. And I go, what was that town? Are you sure about this? She goes, yes, Nazareth, very, very emphatically. And I go, do you know your name? And she goes, just Josiah. So she figured out her name too. And next thing you know, I go, I'm thinking Nazareth. You know, we got to ask the question. Um, did you know Jesus when you were there? Because you're in time frames, you just don't know. And she goes, I didn't discover him until he was about 30. And I go, okay, can you tell me a little bit about that? And she goes, I met him when I was about 30 myself. I was about six months younger than him. And I go, really? So you, did you follow him around? Did you witness anything? Then she goes in these descriptions of some of the miracles he did. And these are ones I've seen in the Bible. One of, well, one of was about curing blindness, but not any detail. So next thing I know, she's describing how he takes a blind four-year-old onto his lap in front of this crowd and hypnotize, uh, not hypnotize, but runs his hand up and down his body. And he's telling, the, he's telling her, she's like watching this. And Jesus is saying, you know, what I can do is I can locate where the negative energy is. I can take it right out of him. And his eyes were rolled back in his head. He was mentally impaired. So she, I go, well, what, is, what does the boy's eyes look like? She goes, they're just white. I don't see any eyes, no pupils. So she's described what the boy looks like as well. And she goes, um, Jesus is putting his you know, like hand in the air, and he's scanning his hand over. He's saying some prayers or something, and, and he's telling us what he's doing. He said he can find like, uh, like a cancer, like a heart disease, that may be 10 or 15 years in the future, but he can take it out of the boy now, and he can see if something like that's going to develop. So he's described, she's describing all this as Josiah, this 30-year-old male, kind of sitting there going like, wow, this is crazy. So next thing you know, uh, he said, I go, what happened next? She goes, well, Jesus you know, lifted the boy up, took him off his lap, and the boy stood there. And I go, she goes, I, he looked like he was confused at first, 
but that he all of a sudden he could see and his eyes were back brown again, like he had pupils and brown eyes, irises. And uh, he didn't seem to be mentally impaired. And I said, what happened then? She said the crowd started coming in really close and were trying to touch him to see how the hell they, you know, Jesus cured this boy in their village. And then other people grabbed the boy and got him out of the way because they were afraid he was going to get smushed, is what she said. She said people were crowding around wanting to see the miracle, to touch him and see how this happened. So she described that. And probably one of the most, a uh, couple of amazing stories was that I, I had her back for another session. I just, you know, this is the kind of thing you just, just have so much fun with. Yeah. So and she knew it for a while, followed him around, saw when he was on the cross. I mean, just really some sad times as well. But one of the most interesting thing was the river that was outside of Nazareth, the one right next to Nazareth, but it was where they got their water and they were fishing and they lived, that river was their survival. Without that river, they would have died. So what he, she said was the river became impure. You know, there's people dumping stuff in it. It just got nasty and all this. The fish were dying. So they didn't have anything to eat really out there in the middle of nowhere. She described how he went down to the river with a staff and he would put the staff in the water and she could see, she goes, I could see electrical vibrations come up. They were running from one side of the shore to the other, back and forth wow. like this. And I go, well, how long do you do this for? And he goes, uh, she goes, uh, he did it for six weeks. I go, wow, it took him that long to do it. And he made the water pure again. The fish came back and everybody's happy. I go, well, what'd they do? I go, did they go down to the river and say, hey, Jesus, how's that coming? Are you, how's it going? He goes, oh, no, 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 no. They were very respectful and they would just stand back at a distance, just watch him. He was very focused and did not want to be disturbed. We all knew that. So it was pretty crazy to hear somebody recount how they actually talked to Jesus. And uh, she goes, she said that him and I became good friends. And uh, he goes, I was really upset. I didn't know if life was worth living. You know, I can imagine being in Nazareth in about, you know, zero AD, what, what life, or 30 AD, what life was like back then. So, you know, he said, there's like much to live for. You know, there was not, you know, any marriage impossibilities. Everybody's poor as dirt. And, you know, just live out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's just horrible. And uh, how he, these would get away. She said he would sit in front of me and we'd be in a circle and other times there'd be more people. And he put his hand up, he put his other hand in front of my heart. And I would feel like this warm energy coming into my body, which would totally relax me. So she described all that stuff too. And it was um, how he would disappear. And what happens, he goes, I go, did you ever see him doing like levitate or make wine? She goes, no, 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 I never saw him do that. Uh, but I did see him do something pretty neat. I go, what's that? She goes, he goes, he would be walking in front of us and he would just disappear. Like he'd gone. And they said they would run over to where he disappeared to and put their hands there to see if there's like some magic or, you know, how this is working. And described how they would feel tingles in her fingertips. Uh -huh. And then all of a sudden it would dissipate. And they go, where, they asked where he was going. And I go, well, you know, where's he going? He said to see my father. Uh-huh. So it was just, it was just, uh, it almost brings tears to your eyes when you read these kind of stories. And uh, I had other ones that uh, were in a scene that helped write the book of Thomas. That's another story in there. That was a pretty amazing story. Now, I think I might have had a slight advantage to the people I regressed for this book compared to the other book. And what I did was I specifically went out and looked for people that were psychics. They were in the Reiki masters. They were in the healings. They were into, you know, compassion. And most of them were healthcare workers that didn't you know, make money. And, uh, yeah, they were into uh, shamanism, animals, nature. Not they weren't. None of them were into politics, and none of them were religious. Well, none of them were religious either. They were all uh, spiritual. You know, they grew up in this church, so that, and that's how it worked. Let me ask you: When you hear stories like that, miraculous healings, do you ever 
wonder if it can happen to you and would you want it to happen to you? What's that? Have a miraculous healing on your body. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah, I don't think I'll be in this wheelchair forever. I'm pretty, I'm convinced of that. Really? Yeah, pretty much. I've been pretty much told that I think uh, over and over by higher beings than us that, uh, you know, through meditative journeys and, you know, we do all sorts of neat stuff and, and a lot of psychics and bang, you know, I can name lots of top ones that said, yeah, you, you know, you're going to get out. It's already been written and there's a reason for that. And et cetera, et cetera. So is that the goal now with your life to sort of discover the consciousness, the frequency, the ability to transform matter, like transform the physical molecules, the physical body? Well, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, um, you know, you, you know, you can do all sorts of visualizations and everything's on a timeline pretty much. And I think my, you know, this was delayed for me, I think. Uh, and I, I did find that out. And there's reasons for delaying timelines or when certain events look to take place. And it has to light up in certain ways. And it's, you know, it's beyond me. And, you know, it also, as you know, is your other side, your divine self is already on the other side anyway. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they can change things that affect you down here as well, which you're not aware of unless you learn about it. So do you connect with that aspect of you that is like maybe in an astral form that's not in a physical form where, that is unrestricted? Do you connect with that part of you? Do you have like dreams or memories of you? Well, you know, I, I've had the ability, I've had psychics tell me this to actually project. Right. Okay. So we've been doing that yeah. pretty right. Yeah. On different, on, and it sounds a little out there, but on different dimensional levels. Not on my show, like it doesn't, Dave. <laughs> right. Well, I think I think we're we're all capable of that, but it takes a while to get to the stage to where where you can quiet your mind enough to where you know once you know one time you just might break through something kind of like uh, kind of what Neo faced in the Matrix when you just see him kind of going into that that other world, that other virtual reality. Mm -hmm. I find it's kind of similar to that. It's almost like cellophane. It's almost like a very thin layer uh, to get through. And, uh, you know, that could be a whole other show about, um, you know, learn to But when you, you know, when you have an injury like mine and a lot of other injuries, you have time to yourself. Yeah. So you learn patience. Yeah. That's something you do learn. Yeah. And then after that, you know, it's just a question what you want to do. You want to sit there and fret about why I'm hurt and why I'm this system and yet, or, uh, and I tell other people this too, like instead of setting that snooze law for 15 minutes, take that time where you're in this theta state anyway, you're just coming out of a, you know, a deep sleep, a delta stage, you're going into theta, you're waking up. Take that 15 minutes at night or in the morning and just allow yourself to relax. And I started doing it just by separating myself. I kind of visualized myself, looked down at myself. Yeah. And that kind of part of the whole thing was uh, kind of completing your, I might say completing your soul, but have the ability of the soul to detach without you being asleep and subconscious and not being aware of that. Cause we all travel at night. We all, we don't sit around our little bodies while, while we're asleep. A lot of people don't know that, but you'll, your soul will travel out and go places. You'll be hooked to, hooked to that silver cord that everybody talks about. And I find that you can do that consciously and that takes time to get to that. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting. I've done many projections without learning how just because there was a part of me and it wasn't the conscious part of me, but there was a part of me that knew I could. So I remember when September 11 happened 
and I just went, I want to go over and have a look and see what's happening. And I did. And I saw, so from an aspect, like a spiritual astral perspective, I saw a whole lot of people guiding people that had died that didn't know that they were dead. You know, they were saying, come with me, come with me. And many of them were firemen, like dressed like a fireman so that the people that had died sort of instantly and they're kind of they're out of their body and they actually don't know they're out of the body. They see right. a fireman and the fireman saying, come with me. And they go, oh, okay, because it's like an authority. And they kind of take right. them to another realm of the astral yeah and they sort of and then they acclimate to you're actually you're no longer in your body and and then they kind of come to that realization so I saw all this happening and I was kind of going wow it's all sorted like it there's lot, there's heaps of help here like there was lots of angels and and lots of people that had died that had specifically died for that reason to help other people that were crossing cross and it was really interesting and I never knew I could do that. I just did it. So it's so interesting. I was having this thought the other day that the stuff that we think we need to learn, our soul already knows how to do because it's doing it all the time. So we just have to tap into that part of us that knows how to do it. Like what if I knew how to do that and just go there? Like, let me just do that. Yeah. So yeah, and like I said, I didn't start out with any. It wasn't like I just spontaneously came out of my body like some people. Do. Yeah, you know, I started out saying, you know what, you know, the layout of your apartment or home where you live. So, kind of the key is you know, we know what things are. We know where the armor is. We know the you know the desk and all that. And what the key is is just get you know visualize yourself coming out and touching that armor, touching that desk, feeling what it feels like, and realizing everything's just vibrating energy anyway. Yeah. And it's kind of taking that energy that you're your, your subconscious, your soul, your divine self, and bringing it out of that physical density and then uh, going from there. So, you know, we study some quantum theory and physics and kind of looking at some of the other guys. And I used to buy books back even before I got hurt, which is kind of funny. All the dashboard jacks. I thought, wow, that looks cool. This is before I got hurt here. This is back when I was like 2021. 20, wow. Never really read them, tried it a few times, visualizing that red ball above my head about three feet, trying to get to it and that kind of deal. You know, the injury kind of led me to that. And uh, that patient, uh, you know, instead of the center of thinking about something, just create, do creative imagery. Picture a nice island somewhere. Picture uh, you know, a better environment. Create the world right. you want to live in. I don't think we understand the power of our ability to create the world we want to live in. Even when the physical circumstances aren't optimum, like yours, right, you can still create a world you want to live in because you have the ability to think to visualize, right. to feel, exactly. to be there, to create. You know, you have your imagination. Yeah. Well, plus it's energy. I mean, if we look at what Jesus even said in the Bible, but guard your thoughts, deeds, and actions carefully. Yeah. Because your thoughts are energy. I mean, you know, when we think with our five senses, you know, these are light photons coming into us. Yeah. And we process those and turn it into whatever information we want to perceive it as. Absolutely, absolutely. So what would you say to people that are listening to this about what's happening in our world at the moment? What's your perspective of what we're going through? I don't have any, I mean, I used to, you know, read all the conspiracy theories you've grown up all the way back with. Now, is this a man-made virus that, you know, we also got struck with and, you know, it originated over there and, you know, they roped it off. We got all these people traveling. I mean, who knows? 
But and some people follow that theory. So I kind of don't get too involved with that too much anymore. And, but what about you know, from a, a sort of spiritual cosmic perspective? What is your what is your thoughts about? Well, I think what it's done is I think it's brought a lot of people together. Right. I think a lot of us were getting pretty much caught up in the Netflix and uh, what's the latest good series to watch. And and I think it you know it has two it's like a two uh, two sided sword. One side is good that you know you can see what the hell your kids are up to. <laughs> Well, before you really had no idea, like when I grew up, like, okay, we're hoping it or seven, we're going to go back out at eight. That's a funny so perspective. So things have changed dramatically. So it is good to keep, I think kids in a lot of ways, especially for studios, are, are better students than I was. But at the same time, I don't think they've had, they really, it's not like an Indian way of life either. I mean, you got very structured soccer games, you know, parents got to pick up this one, drop this one off here. You know, that, then the kids are all like, they'll text messaging all day long. And, you know, who really stops to really see what the world is and what the coronavirus means? A lot of it means that, you know, we're stuck in our house. So what I'm hearing from you is it's the almighty pause, or the pause on. I think it's pulled families together in a lot of ways. People that weren't spending the time. When was the last time you had three uh, children stuck with two parents in a house for a month up here? I mean, it just doesn't happen. These kids are out the door like I was, okay? So it's really, it's drawn families, I think, together. I think there's also been a lot of wise lessons learned from this. Yeah. It is that, you know, it's not all about Netflix. We've got people that are suffering or dying in the streets. We're seeing, I talked to a friend yesterday who has a restaurant near me. He's closing down. He can't continue. And so the impact's going to be huge. Now, are these all lessons that people signed up for, the ones dying of the coronavirus or we got sick from it? as well as the ones that are being impacted financially as a result of this virus. So I think, I think the complexity is, um, you know, that the world was, the world's feeling the effects of coronavirus. So we all signed up for that lesson. I mean, it's just the way it is. Uh, and then, of course, some are taking a little bit of a harder lesson where realizing the financial impact, they've lost their business, they've lost a loved one to this. And that's where the lesson's a little stronger, obviously, than it is just, I'm cooped up in my house for a month or two. Yeah. But I think there's two things. Another thing that comes out of this is the fact that we're going to be a wiser planet as a result of this, realizing that these pandemics can sweep across the world in days or in hours based on the flight and how far it is. And that is something that, um, you know, do we need to have big brick and mortar buildings blowing money on, you know, housing a huge corporation? We could be doing what we're doing now on Zoom. And, you can do uh, it on Zoom. Are you obviously still sustaining yourself through money, you know, working in the markets? When I was in the hospital, they had me in, you know, OT, occupational therapy, you know, how to move my arm and try to move it and this and that and feed myself and all that. And they always asked everybody, what's your, what's your goal? You know, right off the bat, here you are, you're only in the hospital for two months, you're sitting in a wheelchair, this and that. Very young, you know, fresh into that scene. And my goal, I said, man, I didn't even know about it at the time because I really didn't have a lot of financial goals. But I said my goal is to be financially independent. Yeah. And that was my focus. Right. As opposed to, as opposed to feed myself tuna fish wash and have a fall off a spoon or something. So you've done that and that allows you to do this work today. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a multi-millionaire. No, but you, you, you can sustain yourself. So the markets crashing are not really affecting you financially. So I'm on the phone to a girlfriend yesterday who works in the movie industry. Like I've got a lot of friends in a very broad sort of spectrum of life. And I was just listening to her talk about how the movie industry has come to a crashing halt. Right. 
you know, there's just so many like sports industries have come to a crashing halt. And she was talking to me about all her rich friends. Like she's got a friend who is an art dealer and he deals in like millions and millions and millions of dollars <clears throat> selling art to very rich people. That's come to a crashing. And I was just thinking as I was listening to her, the more entrenched you've been in the three-dimensional money magic world, you know, right. the more you're suffering through this, uh, halt this pause that we're going through this this crash see I'm not entrenched in that world I work from home I work on the internet and I just don't have any money so nothing's changed for me but the more that you're invested in this world of investments and and you know you own property and you've got businesses and the more it's going to hurt you and it's just it's just, just fascinating what's happening on our world at the moment it's just well, no, you're right. And it is across all industries. All really industries, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like I said, I, I wanted to save enough to, you know, not worry about finances. You know, if I get to the point where I need to, you know, charge a couple hundred bucks to cure somebody's pain down the line or something. Because I am licensed. Uh, but, you know, at this juncture, it's not really necessary. I didn't, I, I've, I've been pretty fortunate to kind of, kind of keep up on the markets. And I was out of the market February 5th before the whole thing fell apart and um, I've done that in the past with other crashes. Like I was out in 08, I didn't get burned on that one. So I, but I don't take a lot of risk either. I'm not like one of these gamblers. So I, I don't want to work. You're following your gut. So let me ask you, when you see a client, do they come to you physically or do you do it online? How, how does it work? When you look at uh, the people I hypnotize, they came from, you know, like a Kevin Bacon story. You know, this like six degrees, not quite six degrees removed. But I have this friend, my aunt, you know. So they come physically to you. This is what I'm getting at. They come to you physically, oh, yeah. right? And so they lie down and you take them through a guided all. meditation. What are you doing it online as well? Well, I had my first expo uh, exposure doing it to a uh, executive producer out in, out in Santa Monica about a month ago. But we did, we did it over in Zoom because he, he was interviewing me for his podcast. Right. He, go, he does a lot of podcasts now and stuff like that. And he said... Um, you know, Dave, could could we do this, you know, maybe on Zoom or something? Okay. And I thought, well, I don't know why that wouldn't work. I never really thought about it. Because I never I never got anybody approach me that's way out of town somewhere saying, hey, can I, you know, can I do one? So, yeah. So, what we did was, it was very interesting. And what you got to remember is, all they hear is my voice anyway. Their eyes are closed. So, it doesn't matter where they are. I could be anywhere. And uh, they don't necessarily have to be physically here. Which is kind of nice, too. So, I didn't really have to... Uh, you know, I can just kind of like wing my questions without really, you know, thinking too much about record it. it. Look, I know I do it on Zoom all the time with people. Yeah, we did it for three, it was three and a half hours. It was a yeah, long one. Yeah. And you know, he covered five lives and, yeah. you know, he got shot in his last one and didn't know why he didn't like fear and died in New York at the age of 23 before this life. Mm. So that's kind of a shocking thing to hear you were murdered, you know, before this life. And I've had other ones that, you know, was a uh, committed suicide at age 15 before this life that they're in now. So that's kind of hard to hear. Another one was... Uh, You're picking up on exactly of a friend of mine who came to me as a client. She became a friend, good friend, but I met her as a client. Uh, we were trying to figure out why she had moved away from her family, left her family in another country. And I took her through a past life and she saw herself in the 60s as a teenager wearing jeans and a T-shirt. Um, I, I'm, I'm like, what are you wearing? Jeans and a t-shirt. It's like, what year is this? You know, we couldn't get the exact year, but it was obviously just before she was born. So it was quite recent. 
and she had done the same thing. She died of a drug overdose, I think. I don't know if it was an intentional, but there was this staunch independence in her that she was living out in this life. And even though she loved her family, she moved to another country to sort of continue that story of this independence. I'm here by myself. I'm carving out my life. I'm doing it my way without the um, family and it was, it was really interesting. Yeah, it was really interesting. To, it was like this continuation oh, right. of the story. Mm. Exactly. And I've seen a lot of that carry on with people who might have been in healthcare in this life. And, you know, they're like a field nurse in Revolutionary War. Yeah. One reason that was kind of cool, her husband was in, was in 1917. And uh, she was living in, a Brit in Britain. And I was in one of her field hospitals. And her husband went off and died. And she talked about her life up to the 60s. And you know, going all the way to like 1960 and then bang, stayed up there for about 15, 20 years and came back down to this life. And, you know, talked about all that. It was pretty interesting. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. Any last words of wisdom for people listening that you'd like to impart? I think try to stay open-minded is number one. Secondly is to realize everything is connected. Everything is just energy, you know, whether it's us or our table or the walls. And that's a hard concept for a lot of people to grasp. But I think if they realize that, A, they might be more than what they think they are than their five senses and all that neat stuff, that, you know, they can find the, the help is that I've had other people tell me, well, why do I need to know about this, my past lives? You know, I need to concentrate on this one. And that makes, that's a valid question. But the, the reality is that the more we know about ourselves, whether it's in a past life, which adds to our toolbox of what we know, that can help us in making decisions in this life, which might be smarter. It might end a, a bad reoccurring cycle of a bad relationship where we could have gone back to the same person that also reincarnates and we yet have not gone through that lesson and hey, it's not going to work. So we need to break certain cycles. And I think when we look at our forks in a row going forward, we can see a, we can see a clearer path, especially when we visualize ourselves standing on the labyrinth. And we know that's the end. How am I going to get through this in life and make the right decisions? Well, let me ask you this. I know I'm trying to wrap it up. Now I've got another question. The person that saw herself as, uh, what did she call herself? Josiah. Jo Josiah. Yeah. Josiah. Josiah. Um, you know, okay, following. How did that impact her life? How did knowing that impact her life today? Like, how did that change her well, she's definitely a bit bigger believer. I mean, she didn't have a, a Christian background growing up. She didn't grow up in a family with any religious background at all. Her parents are more free spirited and, you know, this kind of deal, kind of like, you know, back in the sixties, uh, made her much more aware of, you know, the roots that she might've had go or she had going way back when, and said it made her a deeply more spiritual person. I want to get her more on the path of more exploration for herself and things like that. And, I found that with most people I've hypnotized, especially have a past life regression that goes into like a meeting or they see their deceased relatives or, you know, their spirit guide that, wow, I really know this person. They've been with me from day one and there's my counsel. And I, you know, these three are always here, but here's a new one this, this time. So that's what you hear. And when they go back and play these recordings, then it just opens up a whole world way beyond what they've been most of them accustomed to. They've, some of them have had inklings, like, you know, I've always felt like maybe I lived in Egypt, and I feel this attraction there. You know, they're wise enough to know that. Or they say, I don't know why I like to draw, but I'm darn good at it, and, or music, or whatever. And there's so many threads that lead back to past that, uh, you know, we bring these gifts down with us to help us in this life. We don't bring them all down. 
Okay, so the answer to the question was it made her become more spiritually aware and then okay. it sent her on more of maybe an exploration to who she is as a spiritual being having a physical life rather than a physical being having a spiritual experience. Yeah. Yeah, what I, you know what, like the doorway in a sense. Some of these people have never been hypnotized, much like me when I was 26. I never did it, but I thought it sounded neat to do it. I just want to know. I don't know for a fact. That's some of the people we encounter. I've had others that might have had a regression 10 10 years ago yeah one to try to get most of them all new yeah I've, i had only a couple of past life regressions one when i was very young and it didn't work i just saw lots of colors swirling and didn't really go anywhere and then one where i had was like back in that time of jesus and like your client i was not religious at all in fact i used to think that people that talked about jesus were god botherers and um, so my ego got a hold of that information and couldn't deal with it. And I just came out of it like, I don't want to see this. I don't want to see this. And I just wanted to kind of come out of it because I couldn't cope with it. I couldn't cope with going back to, um, it was interesting when you were describing your client, when she took me through some, you know, portals, she said, what do you see? I see sandals and dust. There's like a lot of feet. And she said, well, where are you? And I said, I don't know. She said, well, look up. And as I started to look up, because I was looking at all these feet, I just had an instant knowing of where I was. And um, it was just when he was walking to the crucifixion and all these people in the streets and everything like that. And I just went, I don't want to see this. I don't want to see this. There was a lot of fear. Anyway, it took me years to try and understand why I had seen that. And again, someone had taken me through a guided meditation. I'd seen something similar. And they said to me, my guides, ah, just relax. You know, you're not Mary Magdalene or Jesus or anything like that. Like your ego got a hold of it. Like, who am I? Who am I? They said, you just made a um, commitment in that life to carry his message. And that's what you're doing. Wow. And I thought, wow, yeah, you know. Have you and read I, about that? That'd be a nice book. Hey? That'd be a neat book. Yeah. That'd be a neat book. Yeah, and I think that I'm not alone in that. I think that many of us have made a commitment to, um, you know, we've been, we've sat at the foot of a spiritual teacher, and in that life, you know, be it him or other teachers, we've said, I'm going to carry this message, and we continue to do it life after life after life, and. Uh, yeah, so that's what I'm doing with the shows, you know, with my teachings. Well, I'm sure you probably had other lives where you were given advice in Greece or somewhere like Egypt, who knows? Maybe or, well, or according to my guides, I've been carrying that message through every life. I've just been doing it very differently. You know, same intent, different life. So as a man in one life, as a priest in one life, as a, you know, an atheist in another life, as a, a creative person in one life, as a doctor and a scientist in another life, like, you know, it's the same exploration of love or consciousness you know lived through many different lives and many different characters and many different circumstances and but the same intent there's like a, a similar intent through all these different lives so it's fascinating how um you're a rare person to know why you're here a lot of people don't know that ever they never find that out they go back home and go wow i should have tried harder I didn't know that was all, you know, like an illusion or different, you know, that I was living another life. I'm dying now. This is and why you exist. I think we try to help people explore that. People like you and I exist to help people, you know, remember why they're here. And everyone has a different intent to being physical. And not, we're not all here to be spiritual teachers. You know, we're right. here to experience contrast in its many forms and to understand the exploration of polarity and contrast. You know, there's, there's many, there's like just too many 
reasons then we can you know uh, uh, infinite reasons to be here on earth but at this time i think that we're all here we've all chosen to be here during this time of great transition and uh, all the people that i'm speaking to that are listening to the shows that are watching the shows are all a part of the shift and the shift has literally hit the fan so as many people have said many spiritual teachers be the eye in the middle of the storm, be the calm, be the peace, be the love. And uh, yeah, doesn't matter who you've been in a past life, just be love <laughs> in this one. Right. That's right. Good point. Yeah, I, I agree so wholeheartedly. And I think that, um, you know, the work you're doing, Karen, is fantastic. And I think it helps, you know, you know, just plants a seed somewhere. And if they read a book, if they, you know, learn a journey into, you know, other possibilities beyond what's, directly in front of with their five senses, I think, uh, I think it'd be a neat uh, thing to do for a lot of people. Well, Dave, it's been such a pleasure hearing your story and uh, your exploration. Are you offering sessions? Like can people contact you if they want to have sessions with you? What you can do, Karen, is, um, yeah, I mean, I don't mind. I'm working, I'm working on another book already and uh, a couple of very interesting uh, regressions I've done for some people. And, um, yeah, I mean, if they want to reach out and tell me their story a little bit and, you know, maybe what they do, what their occupation is, and maybe, uh, you know, if they think they had some connection to some in the past, if they've done meditation, and if they do, uh, you know, if they think that, you know, they're here of purpose, they're star beings, they have that awakening. I mean, that'd be, that'd be very interesting. Beautiful. Well, your website is Dave, davidrippy.com. Uh, I'll have it under the... Um... YouTube, but for people listening, davidrippy.com and you can see more on my website. You can see, you know, his photograph and, and more about, about him. And thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, it's like, I, I won't let it go. I just had one quick thing on the website is guided meditations. Like I said, there's 14 of them. Beautiful. And if you're suffering from insomnia, pain, whatever, go and try them out. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thanks again. Well, thank you, Karen. It's great. Thanks. Uh, first time I've talked to somebody on Zoom from Australia. I appreciate that. Ah, <laughs> oh, fascinating show with Dave. Um, I actually had more of a chat after I turned off the recording, as we do. Got a little bit more animated. I started sharing more of my stuff with him, and he's like, have you shared this on your podcast show, Your Past Lives? And I'm like, no, I haven't, <laughs> only, only in the shows. But, um, yeah, we were just saying that if you want to reach out to him and, uh, you know, have a Zoom regression, he is up to negotiating with you uh, for price. So I think that maybe if it's a full session, he'll charge a couple of hundred dollars. It's a lot less than normal hypnotherapy sessions because he um, doesn't, you know, put himself out there as a practitioner at this stage, I think, as we discussed He's certified and been doing it for 12 years, but he's, um, it's not really the way he sustains himself financially. It's just his passion and his interest. Um, yeah, interesting guy, really interesting guy. Uh, uh, the way he operates, he, ha he says he has a lot of helpers, but he's paralyzed from the neck down. I don't know if you noticed that when he breathes, like he talks and then he has to take this deep breath in. <gasps> to get the lung the air into his lungs it's like really an effort it's like forced that's he's used to it. it's the way he lives but you know he forces the air in and then he and he talks and and the air comes out it's um it's not a, it's not easy being in his body let me tell you yeah when he was young he was drop dead gorgeous handsome as all anything athletic handsome 
intelligent, but as you said in the in the show, uh, his mind power is so much stronger today than it was then. He probably thought about nothing but his muscles and sport when he was younger. <laughs> How do I make money, have bigger muscles and play good sport, win at my sporting games? But after, obviously, after the accident and he was contemplating life, uh, he started to think about a much bigger picture, which he is um, writing in all his books. But the latest book about Jesus, that, that's, um, that, that sounds fascinating, really fascinating. The books are the transcripts of his hypnosis uh, sessions. So there are like Dave says client says, Dave said client. You know, you've got to kind of read through transcripts. So they're not that easy to read. But if you don't mind that sort of thing, you know, they are. I actually get my computer to read me books. So it was a bit it was a bit harder to listen to that because I couldn't just gloss over that. When you're reading a book, you don't have to read Dave says, client says, but when you're listening to audio, you're listening to it, obviously. Uh, so yeah, they are the transcripts of his hypnosis. So it sort of runs a little bit slowly. It's a bit like watching Alma Weinman, you know, do her sessions um, on YouTube. You, you, you're, it's a slow process. The, the story sort of unfolds slowly as the client just, you know, becomes aware of, of what they're experiencing but yes fascinating maybe you want to know who you were in a past life and what your soul plan is here and I think it's valuable information not necessarily I don't think it's um, completely imperative that we need to know who we are in our past lives if it was we would remember I think that that we're set up not to remember for good reason <laughs> I was telling him that um, you know my mother's reincarnated and she's now a family member who said to me, I don't remember when I, who I was in my past life. And I said to her, that's because you're not supposed to because I was very much told by my guides that in, in this part of her life, she's not supposed to remember. And when she is, she'll find out either through me or through another way, but she'll find out. But um, that we, we live these lives not rem remembering for good reason uh, until we need to know. I haven't learned a lot about many of my past lives i've had snippets of many of them throughout my life from my either guidance or um, guided meditations or even um, you know from psychics telling me and uh, it's always like a little puzzle piece slots into place oh that's why i've got this fascination for that because i used to be an architect in a past life that's why i'm so interested in architecture in this life but i've never followed it or or home design or whatever it's it's really interesting all those little puzzle pieces that slot into place but i hope you are well and um thriving and happy and joyous through these extraordinary times on earth and enjoying our new lockdown circumstances and not too worried about it as as we go through the great reset this transformation the great pause in human activity on earth the big pause i have a girlfriend <clears throat> who I was, I was talking about works in the movie industry and she's very into going to the gym and exercising. And of course, gyms are shut and all that sort of thing. But she says her and her girlfriend bought a kayak and they go down to the harbour, Sydney Harbour, and they get on the kayaks. It's, it's, they can keep far away from each other on a kayak and far away from other people. Uh, so it's legal at this point. And they get out on the harbour and she said, being out there on the harbour in the morning, the city is so still, there's no boats out there, there's no people on the shores. She said it's kind of eerie being out there on the harbour in the kayak and it, everything's so quiet and still and I said, yeah, it sounds amazing. I'd love to do that, to be out on the harbour at the moment with this stillness in our city at the moment. 
as everyone's this activity, this human activity has come to a screeching standstill. I went up to a big shopping centre yesterday to go to the supermarket looking for toilet paper again. <laughs> Didn't find any. <laughs> Got some tissues. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to see this big crazy shopping centre. I wanted to see that, you know, how still it was. And yeah, it's a bit like a ghost town. There were quite a few people milling around you know, going, doing their supermarket shop, I suppose, but all the shops are shut except for food outlets and the odd um, convenience store was open, but it's crazy how everything's shut. The Apple store is shut. I need my computer to get fixed and that's shut. That's one of the busiest shops up there. Yeah, it's like a ghost town. It's really fascinating, fascinating what's happening. Great 2020 pause, 2020 pause just stop all human activity well the majority of it anyway just stop fascinating what's happening anyway love you all who's coming up on the show i don't know lots of people <laughs> haven't got it in front of me um i think we've got some sound healing coming up in the inner sanctum the beautiful um jane elworthy i think is coming up uh and i'm online every week at the moment Ooh, I'm speaking to Aaron next week. Paul Selleck had to reschedule. He got stuck. He got evacuated from where he was the day that we were supposed to do the show. So we're trying to reschedule Paul. And we were going to do it this Friday. I don't think that's going to happen. Might be next week, might be the week after. He'll come on at one stage. And Pia and Cullen are coming on, the Palladian Collective. Oh, lots of people coming up. So stay tuned. For more, uh, for more shows and if you want to meet me personally, you know, reach out for a session yourself, meet your spirit guides, find out why you're here, what your purpose is. I can either take you to remember or my guides will help you and uh, join the Inner Sanctum. We're online every week at the moment, same price and it's not expensive. Our Australian dollar is like 60, it's almost half the American dollar at the moment, 60 cents. It's like crazy cheap for your Americans to have sessions with me or join the Inner Sanctum because I have them all in Australian dollars. So the prices that you see online are in the Australian dollars and um, it's crazy cheap for you to reach out to me at the moment. Uh, same, same for me, but crazy cheap for you. Oh, I don't know why Australian dollars plummeted. I've actually never seen it this low. But anyway, good reason to reach out <laughs> if you're contemplating having a session and you haven't. And you're an American, good time because our dollar is so low. And I'll see you soon. Big love. Bye for now.